Hey, Cole, are you ready to put another shrimp on the barbie and go to the outback in Australia? This movie's from Australia. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Welcome to Second to Die, a horror fiction podcast where we talk about lots of things. And sometimes horror. And sometimes horror. I'm Max. And I'm Cole. And I'm taking you down under today on Second to Die with my first Australian movie. Yeah. I'm doing... Today is all about a 2009 horror film called The Loved Ones. Aw. Or an Australian. The Loved... No. Just Stop. (laughs) It's quiet time. I really cannot do an Australian accent. <laughs> I feel like it always sounds like a Cockney accent. But uh, this movie, anyways, is written by Sean Byrne. I think it's Byrne. And also directed by him. It's like his little thing, I guess. I had heard of this movie. I had never seen it before I did it for this show. It was not... What I expected. So when I watched it, or before I watched it, I thought it was one thing. And then I did my, I actually did my research on it before I watched it, which sometimes I do in that order, sometimes I don't. And when I did my research, I learned that it was kind of has this reputation of being like a very brutal, borderline torture porny movie. And then I was less excited about it. And then when I watched it, it was kind of more of like the torture porny thing. But I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. I'll give a couple factoids about it. There's not a lot, but it's like whatever. People seem to love this movie. It's I would I wouldn't say it's like a cult classic, but it is it is a hugely well, it has a very high rating on on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got a 98%, which is very good. That is very good. And it is critically acclaimed. But weirdly enough, was kind of a box office flop. And by kind of, I mean, it had a budget of $4 million. And in the Australian release, it made 250000 Oh, shit. And total worldwide, only 358000 Oh, wow. Whoa. So the movie lost a ton of money, which is weird for a movie that's got great reviews. That's so bizarre. Yeah. And I get that, like, horror movies and especially brutal horror movies aren't people's things, but, like... If you compare it to something like Hostel, which raked in the dough by being a huge piece of crap, it's weird because this movie is way better than that. I've also heard that basically the first part of Hostel is just like softcore porn and sex sells. Though I will say, I walked behind you while you were watching this movie and it was Naked Girls. The number of times that I walk behind my husband's computer chair and his computer screen is just covered in titties is very strange as a gay man. It, I mean, it's a big theme in horror. Honestly, we could probably literally talk about that for an entire episode about the objectification of women in horror movies. Talk about plenty in the books. There is some sex in this. It's all, well, it's kind of about high schoolers who, you know, of course, look like they're 28, so it's acceptable. But I don't know. 
every movie you see about high schoolers is high schoolers having all this sex and stuff like that. And it's not like I, I had like no sex in high school, but I don't know. I don't feel like people were like tramping it up that much. I don't know. Maybe my high school experience was very different. You went to an honors high school. I went to a high school in the Panhandle of Florida and many girls got pregnant. (laughs) Well, I was also married to the Dark Lord in high school. Praise him. (laughs) Praise his name. I mean, like literally, (laughs) I've talked about it many times, but I was, I mean, I, I had friends, but not to be honest, my friends were not from high school. They were mostly from like my vampire groups and stuff because I was going to high school. Please specify because I know what you mean when you say vampire. My vampire role-playing game. Yes. Thank you. Groups. Because I was just walking around in like fishnet stockings on my arms and like black nails, velvet skirts, like all that. I was so cool back then. I didn't have a lot of friends, but I was really cool. I didn't have a lot of friends, and I was walking around in a lot of very oversized clothes. Not intentionally. I was 5'7 and 115 pounds, and my mother thought I wore a large. Yeah. I was, well, I was much bigger back then, but I don't, I, it was also, I also kind of wonder too how like goth fashion was in like the South and stuff like that, because Michigan, of course, is cold, which is great for being a goth because like layers of your friend, velvet, heavy, non-breathable fabrics. But I feel like it would be such a rough time being a goth in like Florida because it's like the sun is just there all the time. I still remember when I took you home to Pensacola and we went to Kimberly's and we hung out there for a little bit. And as we were leaving, you looked at me and you go, is it this humid here all the time? Well, there was just like puddles of freestanding water, but it hadn't rained. Yeah. It's just like puddles form. And Florida. (laughs) And New Orleans is humid. I don't know. Florida was a trip. Anyway, enough about Florida. Let's talk about something less crazy. This brutal horror movie. So, okay. The movies and just just a couple factoids and then one interesting thing. The movies sort of not villain antagonist, I guess. Her name is Lola Stone. And I thought this was kind of cute because I did not realize this at first. I read it that Lola Stone is an anagram for Lost Alone. And the director had talked about how he wanted to kind of talk about sort of like teenage isolation and stuff in this movie. But when they mentioned this anagram to him at a Q&A, he actually had no idea that that was true. Oh, I was waiting for the cool part because I was like, that sounds like something she would tell her friends in middle school to try and seem interesting. But the fact that he didn't even realize it is kind of cool. Yeah. So, also Lola Stone just sounds like a porn name. It it actually really does. I mean, anything Stone is going to sound like a porn name. No shame to sex work. Side note. All right. So, getting into it, the, weirdly enough, so the blurb for this movie, I actually had not read it before, literally just now when I was like, oh, I have to go look this up. This is the worst blurb ever. It's not really at all what the movie is about, but let me tell you what it says. In order to avoid a ghostly figure in the road... Brent Mitchell wraps his car around a tree, killing his father. While his mother goes to pieces, Brent escapes into a marijuana-fueled world of pain and guilt. That is not what this movie is about. In fact, I don't think Brent smokes marijuana ever in this movie. I his thought friend it was his does. mother who... Did I not hear it very well? No. While his mother goes to pieces, Brent escapes. Oh, okay. For some ex- inexplicable reason, my brain was like, it's his mother who goes through a marijuana fueled whatever 
No. His friend, his like best friend in this movie smokes a shit ton of marijuana. But it's not integral to the plot. In fact, I wasn't even going to talk about the best friend's whole like storyline because it's like really confusing. I may talk about it eventually. But um, Brent, I don't think smokes marijuana. That, I'm going to tell you what this movie is about and you're going to be like, what the F? This it reminds me of a lot of the blurbs for the books you do where you're like, that's not what this is about. Especially Daddy's little girl. Oh my God, that was so bad. He, like the main character of this, it does open with him getting into a car accident because he swerves to avoid this character or this character, this like random wandering person whose chest is all bloody. And his dad does die from that. But the rest of it, I don't know. That's a weird blurb. Anyway, last interesting factoid. We have another crossover situation where we get into the borderline borderline not even we get into the true crime genre Mm. obviously we have a lot of true crime friends it's very popular as well but in march of 2013 at chester crown court that's in australia there was somebody who was convicted of murder for doing a copycat murder based on this film oh he cited this film as uh one of his favorite movies and he brutally the the guy, his name was Gary George, brutally beat and killed his friend, whose name was Andrew Nall. He sustained 49 knife wounds, had cleaning fluid found in his eyes, and had other signs of torture. He was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 30 years. The judge at the time described it as a sadistic torture murder. And during the trial, they watched scenes from this movie so that the prosecution could show that this is what he was getting it for. And the judge actually commented on how it was very clear from watching this movie that during much of the brutality that this man suffered, he was alive. Yikes. Yeah, it's real fucked up. It was This is 2013, so this is four years after the movie came out, so I don't think it got a lot of buzz, and I don't think that affected the movie's, like, success or anything like that. I read a little bit about that. I won't talk a ton about it, because we're not a true crime podcast, but basically the guy was, like, he just wanted to do it, and the guy said that he was, like, an alcoholic, and his friend was also an alcoholic, so he waited till his friend got kind of drunk, and then, like, basically tied him up and tortured him to death. He needs better friends. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely no friend. Okay, so I'm not going to talk about that. Getting back to this movie. I'll say that we've talked about torture genres and torture porn genres for a while. So I don't know if there's much more to say about that other than it's not my favorite. I This movie did have some scenes that were clearly like a lot of the horror was supposed to be the torture. What the, I'll talk about it at the end and during it a little bit more as well. This movie, it started off really good and weird. I like weird and twisted. The character of Lola Stone starts off being like really weird and super fucked up. And it has this aesthetic of almost like, I don't know, it's almost in a weird way, like a John Waters meets horror type situation. But that kind of like completely goes out the window halfway through and it just becomes all about torture. And then I like it lost me at that point. And I didn't find it necessarily scary so much as I was like, oh, God, I'll talk about those parts. Anyways, you ready to dive into it? Can't wait. Okay, so. Of blood. Like I said, it opens up with the main character, Brian. He's played by Xavier Samuel. He gets into a car accident and his dad ends up dying. Okay, flash to six months later. 
the school formal is happening slash prom. Side note, prom does not exist in Australia. They have school formals. They are not called prom. There is no prom king and queen. That's just kind of interesting because they sort of reference prom kings and queens in this, and it's not an Australian thing. Anyway, the character of Lola, she's played by Robin McLeavy, asks Brent to the dance. He turns her down because he's dating Holly, who is a toxic cunt. Kill Holly. What? <laughs> but, um, and because he's going, and he's going to go with her because they're a couple, which seems normal. I don't know. Anyways, so Brent ends up leaving and then goes to his car and promptly proceeds to bang Holly in the car, which is, I think, one of the scenes you walked behind me and there was boobies on the screen. Yes, it was in a car. <laughs> yes. And then weirdly, like he wipes the windows because they're all foggy, and like Lola is outside, like staring at them. Oh no! Uh, <laughs> no! Uh uh-uh. uh! No! Mm-mm. I mean, I don't kink shame. Voyeurism is okay, but like you have to tell the people that you're gonna watch them. That's that's part of the deal. I was just thinking of the creepiness of like swipe face. Yeah, she's. They don't see her. Yeah, that's why it's creepy. Yeah, and she. <laughs> The character of Lola is trip. I mean, she Lola looks very much so like like an every girl, and I think that's the point. Just like this sweet little mousy haired girl. Yeah. And things change. Bum bum bum. Okay, so anyways, there's a lot of this like super heavy handed imagery of Brent like kind of toying with the idea of not wanting to live. You see a lot of like the razor cuts on his arms. He wears a razor blade necklace. Uh, it's it's like he has all this emotional guilt from killing his father. And oh yeah, I'd forgotten that happened. <laughs> yes. Well, he didn't, <laughs> and neither did his mother. Jesus. So he he's like out in the wilderness, and he's like rock climbing, and like they do these things where he's like hanging off, and you can kind of it. It's kind of like very clear that they're doing the like, is he gonna like jump and kill himself? And you're like, fuck no, there's this, this is like 10 minutes into this movie. Like, this would be a really short movie if that happened. So he doesn't. But then he's ultimately struck in the back of the head, passed out, and dragged away. Okay. By a mysterious figure, a man. Then he wakes up and he is wearing a tuxedo and he's tied to a chair and he's sitting at a table with Lola and her dad. And then this other woman who looks real rough. (laughs) And they call her bright eyes. Like, she looks, like, borderline comatose and, like, she hasn't taken a bath in a very, very long time. Gross. Yes. Also, I'll point out at this time that there was a scene a little bit before that Lola's dad, who looks really creepy in this, like, almost, like, so suburban house dad normal that he looks creepy and he comes home with a prom dress for lola and shoes and she's like oh my god and lola is obsessed with this song and it plays in her room and at one point in the movie she's like this is the song they're gonna play at my wedding and it goes a little something like this is it shape of you by ed sheeran oh no it's much much better (laughs) Right 
Okay, so like high school me when I was in love with a straight boy, like straight up in love with a straight boy. <laughs> um, Kimberly knows exactly who I would, who I am talking about. I would have loved that song. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. After my parents went to sleep, I would have curled up in the space between my window and my bed and just curled up in a ball and listened to it on repeat until like 3 a.m., She's like obsessed with that song. First of all, that is not a wedding song. No, it's not. Second of all, so I think one of the interesting things about it, and one of the things I liked about it when it was first kind of setting up everything, is she is this like psycho twisted fucked up person who's wearing this like pink satin dress and like listens to this song. And you're like, this is such a weird situation here. All right. Well, things progress very quickly because Brent is sitting there tied to the chair and they take out this cleaning solution and a syringe and they immediately inject cleaning solution into his vocal cords, like into the side of his neck, directly into his vocal cords. And he's screaming. And as he's screaming, his vocal cords basically like constrict and start. Basically, he loses his voice. He can only make these like weird, raspy like sounds. But according to our former president, now his vocal cords won't get COVID. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder how that guy's doing. Probably not well. So, okay. So then after that happens, they proceed to have dinner and they're eating chicken. And there's this really fucking weird part where Lola goes to Brent and is like holding a chicken drumstick and pushing it to his lips and being like, don't you want it? Isn't it finger licking good? Isn't it finger licking good? And she's like shoving it against his lips and stuff. And, of course, he's not hungry because he just had cleaning solution injected into his throat, which might not stop you. But I was about to say, because <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, like, okay, is it Popeye's, though? I don't. It's some Australian brand. I don't remember what it was. Oh, never mind. But it was weird because then, like, she won't stop. So, eventually, he nods and she goes, show me. And then she holds her finger out. And then... Basically, he's like, what the F? And she's like, suck it. And he won't do it. So then her dad picks up a hammer and bangs the table, which kind of freaks him out. So then he just does it. So then he like sucks on her finger. But then her dad starts to get like jealous. Oh, I had a weird feeling we were going to go that route. So her dad also, I forgot, when she was putting the dress on, she was like, Tell me, tell me how it looks. Cause he was going to leave. And she was like, no, tell me how it looks. And he's like, checks her out a little bit when he puts the dress on. It's really weird. Tell and me I'm pretty. Basically. At one point she actually asks him who's prettier, me or bright eyes. Bright eyes is the weird lady. Oh, I know. I don't know. Anyways. So then like shortly after Brent, who can't talk, tries to like raspily say like toilet. So she's like, oh, you have to go. And he he nods, yes. So she stands up. She takes her glass of milk from the table, which, and then she chugs it. Side note, I don't trust anybody that drinks milk with dinner. I had one friend growing up that drank milk with their dinner at their families, and I always thought it was weird. And I don't think they were, like, killing people or anything like that, but it's fucking weird. I grew up doing that. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. That is the weirdest thing. I do not understand people drinking milk with their dinners. We were, like, a water and wine family. I would say that it gave me strong bones, but to be completely honest, I have literally broken every single toe. I mean, I liked milk growing up. I don't really drink it now, but 
not with dinner. It's milk to me was always something that went with like something sweet or cereal or dessert or something like that. Not with like a savory meal. Oh, obviously I can't do that anymore because I just like woke up one day lactose intolerant, which fucking sucks. I literally used to drink a gallon of milk a day. That's disgusting. It was delicious. That's disgusting. So Lola chugs the whole glass of milk. Then, I have nothing else to say about that. <laughs> then, also much like you, she immediately goes for his crotch and takes his dick out. Okay, but not for what she's going for it for. And then is like, okay, go. And she's going to like make him go in the glass. And she's like, says at one point she's like, should I bite it off? Her dad is right fucking there. <laughs> and then like. That's the best part right now, okay? And he, like, can't go. And she's like, were you lying to me? Did you not need to go? And it's like, girl, I don't know if she knows how, like, dicks work. But, like, you can't. I mean, some people are pee shy, but this isn't even pee shy. This is, like, you have this, like, psychopath holding your dick trying to make you pee into a glass of milk, which is disgusting. You realize that people without dicks also pee and can also be pee shy. Well, I don't know. It's no, because all the girls in horror movies pee themselves immediately. Oh, yes. True. They can't help it. Or horror books, rather. They're so sorry. They're just like flooding when, I mean, they would do great in this situation. They just can't help it. Fucking hate it. I'm so, ugh. every time it happens, I get so mad. So mad. Sir, why do you hate women? Anyway. (laughs) I just just can't with people's portrayals of women sometimes. So... He can't go. So then she tells her dad to come over with a hammer and a nail. And she's like, you need to go. If you don't go by the count of 10, my dad is going to nail your dick to the chair. And I do not think she's fucking around. Gotta go. Gotta go. So she counts. And of course, it's like suspenseful, right? So he doesn't start peeing until basically she hits 10. And then finally you hear it. And like you can tell, see him trying to force himself to pee. And it's like, I have to cut this. I was going to say, it's like the first time I tried water sports and it was just like so fucking difficult. But anyways, so you start hearing it trickle on the glass and then she goes, oh, it's crying. I better kiss it better. That is a fucked up thing to say. I, 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 um... Wow. <laughs> That's the weirdest shit I think I've heard in a long time. But now I feel like I'm... <laughs> it's never like, I don't watch you pee, so I don't know when this would come up. But I feel like now I just always want to be like, was your dick crying? You are never. <laughs> ever. <laughs> to do that. Oh, love of my life. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I thought that was pretty well done. So anyways, so Brent ends up escaping almost. He gets up. He can't, he, he ends up untying his hand bindings and he like kicks Lola. She flies across the room. He gets up. He runs outside. They do end up recapturing him and to keep him from doing it again, they nail his feet to the floor with steak knives, like in a hammer. Uh-uh. Okay. So that's kind of like one of the torture porny parts. And honestly, this is kind of where it started to take a, a turn downhill. Because up until now, 
it had the weirdness of the like chicken and the like your dick is crying. And I was like, yeah, chicken and crying dicks. That's like my jam. Like I love weird shit like that. Right. And so I'm like, this is quirky, like quirky, cool horror. Like I liked the whole like mousy, pretty girl in a pink satin dress saying this weird off the wall, batshit crazy stuff to this guy that she abducted because he said no to her as a prom date. I can get behind that. But then it just started to be kind of about like showing Brent being tortured. Also, a steak knife is not going to be sturdy enough to be able to be hammered through someone's foot. I'm just saying. Oh, with the hammer? I think you could. I think it would bend. Um, I'm not sure. We could try. I've been sharpening my steak knives in so long. Yeah, I think it would. To be honest with you, I mean, I can't confirm that, but I think it could. I guess I don't know how strong, like the bones in a foot. I don't know how solid. Like I know they're solid. But I don't know how like strong they are. Well, I'm thinking like the wood underneath the foot. Yes, the knife would probably just go straight through it. Um, oh. but then you've got wood underneath, and it would just like bend and snap, and not in the way that works every time. Potentially. I guess it depends how soft the wood is. It it was a wood floor for sure, but I don't think it it didn't look very, I don't know. I don't know. Either way, they nail them to the to the to the floor. Whether you could do that or not, I'm not so sure. But I think the idea of having steak knives driven through your feet is definitely for effect because that sounds miserable. Yeah, no, sounds awful. Brent does not like it either. I can't imagine. Yeah. So, at that point, she basically is like, I want to draw on him. Oh. I want to draw on him like I'm a moody teenager and he's a converse shoe. Well, except by drawing him, she means carve things into his chest. But I totally forgot too. The worst torture of this is that before she does this, she sits on his lap and makes him look at her fucked up scrapbook. <laughs> which is like, if you invite somebody over to your house, do not make them look at your pictures. They don't care. Anyways, her scrapbook is pictures of her... Also, some pictures of, like, she cuts out a magazine of, like, um, like shirtless male torsos and stuff, which is, like, such a mood because that was, like, totally me in high school with those men's health magazines. And then also pictures of these missing boys and her with these, like, four or five missing boys. Oh. And they all have, like, things carved into their chests and stuff like that. And she's telling them, like, stories about them or telling Brent stories about them. So then she's like, I want to draw on him. So then it flashes to Brent has no shirt on and he's got a heart with L plus B in the middle of it carved into his chest. And then they take a giant salt shaker and throw salt on him. Now that's just rubbing salt into the wound. Yeah, I mean, quite literally. It's a little on the nose. She also stands him up with his ni- with his feet still knived to the ground and is like slow dancing with him. But of course he can't move his feet. So they're just swaying back and forth while the dad is on a ladder above them. Um, sprinkling glitter on them while the I'm Not Pretty Enough song is playing. He's never going to get all of that glitter out of his foot wounds. Now, or out of any of it. He also has long hair, which of course is gross, but I'm just kidding. If you have long hair, you're great. So anyways, um, oh my God, there's so much glitter in his hair though. It's outrageous. So, okay. I hate glitter. <laughs> Sorry. I just had to <laughs> express that. Like, remember when I glitter bearded you for, oh, side note, Chewbacca's would literally be like this weekend. 
But do you remember when I glitter beauted you for Chewbacca's? Yes, I do. And I remember that I was still finding glitter in the bath mat several months later. Yeah. Chewbacca's, for people listening that don't um, may not be from New Orleans, is a Mardi Gras parade that is sci-fi and fantasy themed. And Cole's job marches in it. And so, and I march in it with them. And it's very fun. It's a great parade. Mardi Gras parades are not 100% our thing, but that one is very cool because it's like weird nerd stuff. Okay. So then while they're dancing, she basically tells him that that's going to be her wedding song when she finds her prince, but that he's not her prince. He's just another frog. Then she looks at her dad, takes her dad's hand, and is like, you've been my prince all along. And they have this scene where they almost kiss. I knew it. It's disgusting. So anyways, um, I'm getting, this is like going way longer because I've gotten on so many tangents, but I'll fast forward through a lot of this movie. They open, at one point they open up this trap door in the living room. There's like, it's under the rug and you hear these sounds that sound exactly the same as Brent when he was trying to scream, but his vocal cords are, um, cleaning solution. Is it her frog collection? It is her frog collection. It's all the like boys that she had kidnapped and they've all turned into these like really thin feral kind of things because she also, they do this crude lobotomization, which is what happened to the bright eyes character where she takes a power drill out and they drill a, they drill a hole in your forehead and then they dump boiling water in it to like partially lobotomize one. I don't know if this works. But the scene is kind I don't know. The scene is a little bit too gruesome for me. She basically tells Brent that he's going to be her first drilling. So she takes the drill out. And I will say the first time she tries to drill his head, it like flicks off his forehead because she wasn't holding it correctly. I did appreciate that because that would happen because it's not like you can just drill through somebody's skull. I mean, that's going to take a lot of force. And practice. Practice makes perfect. Yes. What I didn't love is that, so she eventually kind of does it. It's this kind of gross scene where you hear the skull crack and stuff like that. But, like, I feel like she would hit his brain and he would just die. Like, they don't go in far, which is the point. Anyways, then they get the boiling water, but she can't. It's really gross. I'm going to skip through talking about too much of it. But she basically can't do it because she the hole isn't big enough so she's like the hole's not big enough daddy make it bigger so he goes and starts kind of like drilling more like around with the hole and at that time brent had gotten his razor blade necklace out of his pocket because apparently when they tied it up they decided to just put his razor blade necklace in his pocket which is one of the dumbest parts of this movie because that would never happen but he had used it to cut his bindings free so then he slashes the girl's dad in the face rips like he like reels back he rips the steak knives out of his feet and then stabs the guy, the girl's dad in the neck like a billion times and then pushes him back into the trapdoor. He falls down and all the little like the frogs start eating him. I mean, this is like to all the boys I've loved before, but make it fucked up. <laughs> yeah, well, Lola doesn't love that. So she pushes Brent into the pit as well. Oh, OK. I wasn't expecting that. So then Brent basically has to fight off all the other guys. He ends up basically killing them. He finds a flashlight in there, which just happens to randomly be in there because it would be pitch dark otherwise, which is real fucking stupid. Anyways, I'm going to flash to basically the end of this. This is almost the end of the movie. So in the meantime, Holly has kind of put it together that Lola had something to do with it because Brent had told Holly that Lola asked him to the dance. Also, 
one of the other people that went missing was like, I guess somehow tied to Lola. So Holly somehow in her head thinks like this has to be connected. So Holly starts to go over to Lola's house. Well, before she gets there, Lola had actually left the house because he told Brent that he was going to go to his home and stab his mom in the neck like he did to her dad and then stab Holly in the heart like he did to her. So Lola's walking down the road and Holly comes driving and then basically like Holly ends up stopping her car because Lola throws her scrapbook at it and she's like, what the fuck just hit me? And then like Holly and Lola get into a fight. Holly's running and in the meantime, Brent had figured out that he could like pile up the bodies and some of these like scraps and stuff and get out of the little pit. So then he gets in the car and he's like speeding down the road and he eventually like speeds on the road. He comes up a hill. He sees Holly almost hits her swerves, then sees Lola and like fucking runs her over. And then Holly gets in his car and then they look in the rear view mirror and they see Lola like with a knife, like busted and broken up, like crawling on the like sidewalk, like trying to get to them and they back up into her and they kill her. So this is almost exactly the end, except the last scene is Brent and Holly pulling up to Brent's house and his mom coming out. And they had been looking for him this whole time because it's been a couple. It's been like a day. Yeah. So his mom comes out and she's like, oh, my God, I'm so happy to see you. But here's the other thing. Why would Holly take him to his house and not a hospital? He's probably got a first aid kit. I mean, he had he's got steak knives in the feet. He's got cleaning solution in the vocal cords. He's got a big heart carved on his chest. I mean, that's not cool. Just walk it off. And he like hugs his mom. I don't know. It's it was the weird. I was like, this is so stupid. But anyways, they hug and it's like, oh yay, we're all happy now. Except you're probably traumatized for the rest of your life. But that's cool. The end. Anyway, I feel like I could do some final thoughts, but th- I've actually talked for way longer than I thought I was going to about this movie. But all in all, I I really did like sort of like the weird twistedness of it at first. I like the funky song. I like the like pink satin dress and this mousy girl who ends up becoming this sadistic killer. That I can jam with. I didn't like how it just kind of turned away from that at one point in the movie and became just like, what kind of gross torture scenes can we throw in this? Like, I much would have preferred more of the weird like chicken finger sucking. Even like the dance was kind of weird. More of that and less of just like steak knives and drill through the forehead and blah, 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 blah. You know? Yeah. Anyways, I wouldn't say this movie is bad. I would say if you can handle gore, I would actually recommend people watch it because it is weird enough to enjoy. But if you're not into gore, I don't think the weirdness is enough to overcome that. So don't watch it. Oh, did it cry? Yeah. Oh, boy. Anyways, that's The Loved Ones. My, I think, first Australian film. I honestly can't remember. We're getting up there in episodes and my my memory is just like not great, but... That's today's movie. Now tell me what you're going to talk about. So this week I am actually doing another recommended title, courtesy of my lovely sister, Kim, over at the Dark Rose Pod. It was actually perfect timing because I read it right after a book that I just didn't necessarily like. And by that I mean, like, I've disliked it so much that I've put off doing an episode for it. I think I have it scheduled for like late February. It's just not exciting. And I needed a breath of fresh air. 
So this week I am doing The Blackstone Chronicles by John Saul. I've never read any John Saul books before, and this came out in 1997. But I do know he's very popular, so I was excited. So let's go ahead and jump right in. I'm going to do the blurb first, because it makes the cover make sense. The not good cover. We'll we'll talk about that in a (laughs) sec. Okay. From atop Blackstone's highest hill, the old asylum casts its shadow over the village, built in the 1890s to house the insane. Inaccurate. The asylum has stood vacant for decades, but now the Wrecker's Ball is about to strike and unleash an ominous evil. Strange gifts begin to appear on the doorsteps of Blackstone's finest citizens. Each bears a mysterious history. Each brings a horrifying power to harm. Each reveals another thread in the suspensefully woven web of the Black Stone Chronicles. Hmm. I'm not gonna lie. Every time I see a horror movie and the synopsis has anything to do with an old asylum, I just roll my eyes. This one was well done. (laughs) I mean, I'm over that trope a little bit, but this is from the 90s, so I guess I can understand that. And also, most of the time, it's just... We'll get to it. Usually, it's actually a bunch of stupid people who are like, let's go spend a night in the old asylum. Yeah, it's not that. Okay. We can talk about the cover now? Yes, we're going to talk about the cover. The cover is a building, which I'm pretty sure that we are meant to assume is the asylum, lit from behind by a sunset. It was designed by Drew Pennington McNeil, and the illustration was done by Danilo Duchak. And I'll be honest with you, no tea, no shade, but all tea, all shade. Uh, The cover's awful. The cover looks, I'm trying to think of, it's reminding me of something. Well, first of all, I'll say this. When you first put it out, I go, oh, the the book you're doing is called John Saul. That's weird. Because his name is gigantic on this cover. And the title is not. It's kind of like how on Stephen King's books, his name is gigantic. Because sometimes it's the name that sells. Yeah. I mean, I do not recognize that name. But you saying that he's kind of popular makes it make more sense. Because I'm like... That's the that's all I see is John Saul in a terrible asylum picture. Yeah, I would not say that's an asylum. It actually looks kind of I don't know, it looks kind of homey. Sunset yeah. sunset on the beach. It's it's weird. And like it's boring enough that I wonder how many people picked a copy of this book up, saw the cover and then just put it back. I don't know. The thing is, like it's a series of six novellas and I'll bring you the book in a second. It's the images of each of them are on the back, like what was originally published on the covers of the novellas. And those are so much better. It's like these lurid, dark colors on black backgrounds. Like, I love it. The cover of the combined edition, which is what I have, not so much. Let me show you the back. Oh, it's like little thing. to be honest. These look like things that you would collect in like, Some sort of a video game. Okay. Anyway, enough of that. Let's go ahead and dive into the plot. As I'm sure you can put together from the blurb, each of the novellas circles around an item that a shadowy figure has been distributing to the townspeople. There's a story to each of them. And then there's like a meta plot that runs through all six. I'll talk a little bit about the individual objects, but I'm going to leave those individual stories for our gentle listeners to go out to discover for themselves 
Also, to be honest, I would have to do like a three-hour episode. Because each novella is like a complete story. It's insane. Yeah, we, we don't have that kind of time. No, but it's really good. And like maybe down the road we could do like mini-sodes or something. And I can do like a quick chat about it. Who I knows? do mini-sodes. If people want to hear mini-sodes, they, they should ask for them. Yeah, let us know if you want us to do mini-sodes. Our main character for the Metaplot is a man named Oliver Metcalf. And he is the head of the local newspaper. Guess what it's called? The Chronicles? The Blackstone Chronicles? The Blackstone Chronicle. Yes, it is. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Um, he is descended from both the doctor who used to run the asylum on one side of his family and the family that originally built the asylum on the other side of the family. It was originally built as a house, not as an asylum. Lies and fairy tales in the barb. <laughs> Oliver actually lives in the caretaker's cottage on the property, which to be honest with you, like it sounds super cute. It's this little like living room, kitchen, dinette on the first floor. And then upstairs is his bathroom and his bedroom. It sounds so cute. I want it. (laughs) Yeah. On the grounds of an abandoned asylum. I can dig it. Well, what can you do about that though? Um, We learned that he's relatively well-respected, but people are very suspicious of him because something happened to his little sister when he was younger. But bum, bum, bum. We don't know what it is. Like she's, like, dead? Yes. Okay. Luckily, I read a book a week, so it's like I I learned (laughs) relatively quickly. Didn't have to wait too long. The story opens with Oliver speaking at a ceremony where the first strike of the wrecking ball is going to take down the asylum. It's basically being turned into a giant shopping mall, but they're going to keep the facade of the asylum on the front. It's the 90s. Who designed that? It's the 90s. Uh, A character in the book, actually. The architect and his family are like the central characters in one of the novellas. Hmm. So he gets what's coming to him for that (laughs) choice. When the wrecking ball hits, Oliver is struck by a headache and a vision of a man leading a young boy up the front steps of the asylum. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> like, I don't... I'm... Uh, then we have a scene of a shadowy figure walking through the abandoned asylum to, like, a hidden closet. And that's where all the objects are. Okay. There's a lot, there's a lot of... Wait, so that actually happens? Yes. Okay. I was going to say, there's a lot of visions, but... Oh, So this no. is a real thing. Only the um, little boy being led up the steps was the vision. I'm sorry. The next scene in the actual book... Okay, okay, okay. ...is the shadowy figure. Over the course of the stories, we are treated to a haunted doll that makes you think it's real and do anything to protect it, a locket that makes you insanely paranoid, a lighter shaped like a dragon's head that makes you destructive, a handkerchief that makes you hallucinate, and a stereoscope that makes you see the ghosts of the people that you have wronged. What's a stereoscope, you ask? You didn't ask, but I'm... Maybe you know. I didn't. I had to Google it. It's basically like an antique... What's the thing that's like, it was the circle and had the little pictures and you flipped the little knob? Viewmaster? Is that what Viewmaster, yes. It was like an antique Viewmaster, except it was on just like a handle and you put a tiny picture in and you had to switch each picture out individually. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. Um, the stereoscope used to belong to a super buff serial killer, so that's fine. No Serial killers and their stereoscopes. Well, he got it after he was lobotomized to help entertain him. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, these objects to me immediately just sound like they're bringing on psychoses of different patients. Yes. I mean, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. 
There's also a straight razor that doesn't necessarily do anything specific. It is, it factors into the meta plot. It's also the last novella. So I'll talk about it a little bit more. But you've been forewarned. From here on out, there are spoilers galore for people who want to read it. I don't know. So each of these objects causes terrible things to happen to their recipients. And as the tragedies happen to other people in town, Oliver gets more and more curious and starts to investigate, which also happens to cause him to have more headaches and visions. Also, along the way, Oliver starts a bit of a romance with a woman named Rebecca. She works at the local library. (laughs) Rebecca is incredibly sweet, but she is living with a lot of trauma. Uh, You and Oliver would have a lot in common. Go after the fragile librarian. Both of her parents died in a car crash that she was also in. And this left her development of her maturity a little bit behind. It basically like stopped when she was a teenager. It's nothing too crazy. Mainly she's just kind of portrayed as not having much of a filter. For example, my favorite part. She unintentionally shades another town resident by saying to this woman, Oh my God, I love your new wig. This one looks like real hair. (laughs) But like Rebecca was completely sincere. Like she's like, Oh my gosh, your wig is so pretty. It looks like real hair. Your other one didn't, but this one does. But no one takes that the right way. Yeah, people just don't like when you compliment their wigs. But the trauma doesn't end there. Oh, no. She is taken in by her aunt, who is super religious. Mm. And I'm not saying that all religion is traumatizing. I'm not going to be that person here. If you are that person, good for you. I'm just not trying to stir that much shit up. But literally everything to this woman is a trial and a test from God. Like, she's walking to the store and she's older and a resident stops and offers her a ride because she's visibly limping because it's hurting her feet. And she refuses it because to accept that comfort would be an affront to the test that God has given her to walk to the store today. Mm. Okay. She also spends hours every single day praying in a dark room with Gregorian chants blasting from the speakers. (laughs) It was a mood. There was... (laughs) I will say there was a time when I had a Gregorian chant CD though, and I used to listen to it. There, so there is um, that. Oh my God, what is it called? It's like Gregorian monks chanting, but covering like modern songs, and they do a cover of an Evanescent song, and I used to be obsessed with it. I have no idea what you're talking about. I'll play it for you after this podcast, but let me just tell you, Gregorian monks singing Evanescence, it's gold. Oh, boy. But yeah, all that sort of thing. She's like the type of person who in modern times wouldn't get an e-reader because she considers turning the pages of a book to be the labor necessary to earn the pleasure of reading. Okay. It's a lot. So Rebecca is also involved in not one, but two of the stories. So she watches two of the outcomes of the objects firsthand. All that said, uh, the romance between her and Oliver is adorable. And I literally texted Kimberly at one point. I was like, I ship them so, so hard. But because it's a horror novel, that scares me. And her response was simply to say, you should be. (laughs) So I spent the entire time just like knowing like that ship's going to sink. And it, it really did. Things start to escalate. And then Rebecca gets kidnapped. 
Because, wow. of course. Yeah. Oliver is having tons of visions. He's having visions of ice baths and children being shocked with cattle prods. All kinds of very heavy-handed things. And while researching to try and solve the mystery of the objects, because he now thinks that that's related to Rebecca's disappearance, Oliver discovers that his father, the last doctor of the asylum, was actually this, like, really garbage man. And the asylum was shut down because our not-so-good doctor was basically torturing the patients. Yeah, I mean, I feel, uh, uh, I mean, I'm just going to say I feel like that's pretty much the storyline for most asylum horror things. I feel like it's almost like, I wouldn't call it a subgenre, but I feel like that's such a thing where it's like, the old asylum, but the patients were mistreated, and then they're going to get revenge. Basically, except the patients aren't getting revenge. So, oddly enough, I was reading this while you and I were watching Ratchet. Hmm. So it was really fun to watch, like, the ice baths and the boiling water baths and stuff that I was reading about brought to life on the screen. Also, the ending of that show was garbage. Anyway. So, things wrap up pretty quickly when we get to the final novella. Oliver eventually gets the straight razor, which leads him to the asylum, where a final flashback reveals the true story of what's happening in town. Spoiler alert, Oliver is the shadowy figure. Okay. And he's been distributing the items, but he doesn't know it yet. (laughs) Oh, okay. That's because when Oliver was a child and his father was faced with the scorn of the town, Oliver's father basically started training Oliver to distribute these cursed items as revenge. And he buried this under traumatizing Oliver by forcing him to watch as he tortured patients. When Oliver was like five. (laughs) Okay. Everything culminates when Oliver and his sister are taking a bath in the private bathroom that's attached to their father's office. And his sister accidentally splashes their father while he's shaving. So their father slashes her throat with a straight razor. Whoa, that's an overreaction. He had anger management problems. I mean, if you're shaving, you probably already got some water on you, right? He was very upset. Uh, Then he used the same like hypnosis trauma technique to convince Oliver that he had actually killed his sister while playing and sending him to hide the razor with the other objects. This guy's like dad of the year though, right? No, dad of the year was from your movie. (laughs) Always her prince. Always her prince. So this final realization broke the spell over Oliver and he realized that he was the one who kidnapped Rebecca. So he set her free. And then he ran to the construction equipment that is still standing outside of the asylum and used the wrecking ball and knocked the rest of it down the end. Do you think she's going to keep going out with him? Yes. Because Oliver tries to turn him in and Rebecca's like, oh no, you saved me to like the police officer to stop Oliver from turning himself in. But didn't she, but he also put her in that situation. Yes. That's toxic. Well, when you spend enough time with someone, it starts to feel like home. Stockholm. I know, but it's like, you saved me. Yeah, girl. From the situation he put you in. That's not heroic. You saved me from yourself. I'm not pushing you away. I'm pulling me towards myself. Jesus. All right. So before I wrap up, I want to talk about two brief parts that actually show a very progressive mindset for the 90s. Uh, First of all, a character has an abortion. And while it isn't painted as this like rose tinted, lovely experience, it is very respectfully portrayed as a 
very complicated decision that is ultimately the decision of the pregnant person in question and no one else's. Okay. So. I mean, it was the 90s. People were having abortions in the 90s. Yeah, but I just feel like you didn't get as explicitly like... I had three. I just feel like you didn't get as explicitly like pro-choice messages in it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there is also a trans character. Really? Yes. So, without giving away too much, the doll originally belonged to a character who was assigned male at birth, but preferred to be treated as the family's daughter. Her father sent her to the asylum for it. Which is realistic, I suppose. Yes. It didn't... That happened in the past. Obviously, the doll is old, so that happened in, like, the 40s or something. The doll ends up eventually at the end of the story, in the hands of a child. And whenever people assume that the doll, obviously possessed by the spirit of the little girl, um, is a boy doll, she adamantly is like, no, my doll is a girl. You will say that my doll is a girl. You will never say that my doll is a boy again. Hmm. It was really nicely done. Uh, keep in mind, for any of our listeners who are looking for their queer representation, if you go back and read this, Vocabulary for queer people has changed a lot over the years, especially since the mid-90s. So most recent terms aren't being used. Nothing is done disrespectfully, but there's not the modern terminology in it. So just try and keep that in mind. But I was actually like very impressed. That's cool. Yeah. Language is living, by the way. If people didn't know that, language has changed. Max has a bachelor's in linguistics. <laughs> That's not why. I mean, I love language. So... I mean, it's fascinating. The thing is, it's not just about PC culture and stuff like that. It's just about, oh, my God, I cannot get into this. No, I will literally talk for an hour. <laughs> you're like tapping your fingertips together under the table. Like I can see how excited you're getting. <laughs> well, I'm like, the thing is, is like language is about communication and about properly describing what you want. And if if there becomes a better way to describe something, then the language will evolve to do that. Anyways, let's not talk about this. Let's move on. I could literally do a whole podcast episode about this. Join our Patreon where you can listen to Max <laughs> rant about language development. All in all, I am going to give this book five out of five items to drive you mad. I loved reading it. I loved the novellas. I loved the metaplot. I loved the little hints and the clues throughout. It was just fun. Like, I literally found myself so excited to read this book every single day. My only issue is that we ran into what is basically yet another example of dissociative identity disorder to be the twist but that wasn't enough to ruin my enjoyment. Sure. I mean, if that's done well, I guess it's okay. It has to explain it. I think like the issue with daddy's little girl was that it came out of left field. I not having read it, just listening to you talk about it. It seems like it was like, Oh no, you're right. It did. Well, and it came out of left field. And also I feel like sometimes it's kind of like, if, if there's not like good foreshadowing or lead up to it, it's like, this is stupid. Or if there's not a good explanation of it, it's like, this is stupid. This, at least, is a backstory to explain why this is happening, so it makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can dig it. Yeah, no, I loved it. So, if you were in the Blackstone Chronicles, would you die? So, that's, like, a weird thing. So, it all depends on if I were to get an object, because they're really gnarly. So, yeah, probably. Not gonna lie. Like, if not dead, then, like, some really bad shit's gonna happen. Because... Basically, everyone who gets one dies or is, like, comatose. Would you die in The Loved Ones? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, 
Girls were not asking me to the prom in high school. I think I would steer clear of that bullet. So I doubt that I would any nobody no girl was obsessed with me in high school. I'll just put it that way. I'm obsessed with you now. Well, let me tell you, I am a far cry from what I was in high school all these days. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? Anyway, thank you so much for listening. If you would like to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Goodreads at Second to Die Pod. You can also email us questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, whatever you want. If you want to, if you want to hear mini episodes, at Second to Die Pod at Gmail dot com. And remember, if you can't be first, you can always be second. No, just no. <laughs> you can always be second to die. <laughs>